You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, we're talking about God's sovereignty today and man's responsibility in the Word. And, and it's a great, it's an appropriate message, I think, for the occasion as we come back to this book and we dive back into the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament is given to us to map out the Christian life that you and I are to live today. And we see doctrine and theology with human flesh on it in the Old Testament. That's why I love it so much. That's why we're going through it on Sunday mornings. I love the opportunity to get to learn with you guys, to learn together the doctrine, the theology of Christianity, our great and mighty God. It all stems from Him. It all is connected to Him. And as we learn of Him, we grow and we become more and more like Him. And that's our goal today. But we're studying these two themes that are found equally in Scripture, this God, this sovereignty of God, as well as this undeniable fact of man's responsibility before God. In other words, man's free will. And so often in the church, many Christians have put these two truths at loggerheads with one another. And they have made it boil down to a decision, well, I've got to choose one side or the other side to overemphasize. And many will choose God's sovereignty, and that's all they'll focus on, that's all they'll talk about, that's all they see in the Bible. But listen, that is, that, that is actually not the, the healthiest way to approach these things. Yes, it is there. We must acknowledge that. But we must also equally recognize that man's free will, that God will hold every human being responsible for what they have done with Jesus Christ, that is also equally represented in the Scriptures. We know that when we stand before the Lord in the final times there in the book of Revelation, we surround the throne. What do we see the saints singing and saying and proclaiming? Righteous and true are your judgments, O God. We know that everything that God does is going to be perfectly fair and perfectly just. And because of this, the Bible tells us, listen, we're not to put these two truths at loggerheads, but rather we're to recognize them as two rails on the same track. They're both there. Now, it's not for us to fully understand, I don't think. I don't think we can ever completely grasp where the interaction is in all of this. But stories like what we're studying today are going to help us to bring clarity to the situation, okay? And so that's what we're going to see today in the text. We see this rail of God's sovereignty there laid out before us, and at the same time, this rail of man's responsibility laid out there as well. And and we see both of these things at work in this story here in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. So let's pick it up where we see God's plan in chapter 9. We're going to start off with verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to read these verses as we see an introduction of who Saul is and where he's at in the story. And this is really where the rise of Saul begins, okay? For those of you students of the word, this would be where there's a break in the chapter. The first eight chapters were about Samuel the prophet. Now we're talking about the rise of Saul. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, in a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. 
From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Verse 5, when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to them, and he said to him, Look, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. Now all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Verse 7, Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? Saul is referring there in verse 7 to the customary tradition in those times of when you would go to see a man of God or a seer, it was customary to bring him a gift, okay? In verse 8, it says, And the servant answered and Saul again, <clears throat> answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And then Saul said to his servant, verse 10, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Let's pause right here for a moment. These first 10 verses of chapter 9 set us up with the context and get us back into the story of what's happening here in Israel. We know that in chapter 8, the people of Israel were basically rejecting God over them as king. They were in that theocracy-style government in which God was their ruler. And they were saying, look, this isn't good enough. We want a king. And so they were pressuring Samuel, and they were pressuring God for this king. And God, here in chapter 9, is now introducing us to the man that God is going to allow to uh, uh, assume the throne in Israel. Notice he has many advantages, it would seem. He's a well-known, or he comes from a well-known and wealthy family, the family of uh, his father, Kish. He's got good parents. He's got good looks. He's tall. He seems to be faithful, seems to be diligent. Seems like he's got a, a lot going for him here. Now, he might be a little bit ignorant when it comes to the things of God, as we see here. He didn't even know who Samuel was. He didn't realize that Samuel was the acting prophet and priest in Israel at this time. But that's okay. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It was a big land. Maybe he didn't, hadn't heard of him. And we saw here that he's going up to see this prophet, this seer, as they say here. And that was the way that they referred to a prophet in those days. It just refers to somebody who was able to have this spiritual insight, someone that can see things that are supernaturally revealed. Now, it was Saul's faithfulness, and I want you guys to note this, Saul's faithfulness in the small task of obeying his father. Did you catch that? Especially you young people here this morning. Did you catch that? Saul was obedient in a small thing. His dad asked him to go find three donkeys. Now, I'm sure Saul had an option at this point. You know, he could have complained. He could have said, oh, come on, dad. 
we got servants for this kind of stuff, you know? We got other guys that you could send out on that kind of a mission. So I'll take out the trash. Oh, come on, Dad. You don't want me to do this kind of stuff. I mean, this is beneath me. But that's not Saul's attitude. Saul, at least at this point, he's a humble guy. He steps out. He's diligent. He's obedient. And guess what? Through his obedience in a small thing to his father, it brought him a new friend, Samuel, brought him a new calling and a new opportunity into his life to serve the Lord. All of that through just a simple obedience to his dad. Why do I bring this up, guys? Well, I want to point out to you that God works through authority. God works through authority in your life. It could be your supervisor at work. It could be the CEO of the company you work for. It could be your pastor. It could be your parents. But those authority figures that God gives us in our lives, he gives them to us for a reason. And sometimes we look at what they might tell us to do and it might seem, well, trivial, It might seem unjust. It might seem like it would be better suited for someone else. Sometimes even those bad things. We might even get fired from an employer. But I'll tell you a secret. If you can learn to understand this truth, that God works through those who are in authority in our lives, the authority figures he places in our lives, he guides us. He directs us through these things. And in this simple act of obedience here, Saul found this new friend, new calling, and a new way that he could serve the Lord, new opportunity, and all that through simple obedience. However, I do want to point this out as well, that just because Saul has a good beginning here, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have a good ending. Okay, a good beginning, there's lots of people with good beginnings. There's countless Christians that I could tell you about who have begun well. But it's the way that we finish that matters so much. That's why we had a moment of silence this morning honoring Sam Player and his life, the way that he finished his race, man. I pray that I'm in those shoes when I'm his age, that I'm serving the Lord, that I'm actively seeking those that I might bless in my life because of my love relationship with the Lord. So many start well, but it's not how well you start that counts. It's how well you finish. Let's jump down to verse 15 now, where we see Saul's first meeting with Samuel taking place. And this is really where we see the sovereignty of God coming in to this whole story, okay? Uh, At least from the biblical account, we know that his sovereignty is always at work. But verse 15, pick it up with me. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may, ha- that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Let's pause right here for a moment. Again, we see the sovereignty of God being acknowledged once again in this story. I say acknowledged because we know, in fact, that the sovereignty of God is always in the story. It's always there. But the Bible wants us to focus on that fact right now. Specifically, the way that this is written is calling your attention to the fact that God is sovereign. 
As I've told you before, when we started the book of Samuel, one of the major themes in the book of Samuel is God's sovereignty. But equally prominent in the book of 1 Samuel is the responsibility of man or the faithfulness of each individual to obey, to obey God in the command and calling that he places in their lives. And we see this coming out in these chapters. Now I want you all to notice here, how did God speak to Samuel? It says there in verse 15 that he spoke in his ear. Now, I'm coming back to Thomas's joke earlier in the announcements, you know. <laughs> was God, how many times was God saying anything to, to Samuel? But it says he spoke in his ear. Does this mean that God was whispering in Samuel's ear, you know? Hey, Samuel, here's what I want you to do. No, okay, that, that's not necessarily what's implied. What's implied here in the Hebrew language is that God revealed this to Samuel. Now, the way that this is written is, is written in this beautiful, poetic style. The Hebrew language is famous for that. This picture of God whispering into Samuel's ear. But what it means is he's simply revealing to Samuel what's going to happen. And, and I love the way that's translated because it reminds us of the intimate relationship that God wants to have with those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. In fact, the Bible says in other places that God likes to lead and guide his people with that still small voice in which he reveals to us his will. Check out Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21. It's on the screen for you. It says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. In other words, the Lord is going to be there along the way. He's going to be guiding you. Now, we, we know that you have to be willing to receive. And, and in fact, that's what Revelation 2.29 says. Jesus, speaking to the churches, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Jesus isn't talking about a physical ear. You've got your ears, right? If you've got at least one, most of us have two, right? And the reason we've got two ears is so that we'll listen, hopefully, more than we speak. We've only got one mouth. God designed it that way. little message in that, I think. Listen twice as much as you speak. I wish I could take that to advice much more in my own life, right? But notice here, this is speaking about a spiritual ear. If, you've got a, if you're tuned in, in other words, to what the Spirit is saying, you're going to hear the voice of the Lord directing you in your life. God wants to speak to us, church. He has things he wants to reveal to you and to me, but we have to be willing to listen. So are you? Are you taking the time to hear the voice of the Lord? The other point of application I want to make here before we move on is that God has got a plan in the works all the time. In his sovereignty, nothing is going to thwart God's plan. He's got something going on. He knows everything. What do I mean when I say God is sovereign? Well, I mean that he knows all, and he's all-powerful. In other words, he's completely capable of bringing about his plan. But thirdly, he also has freedom. God has ultimate freedom. Actually, I should, I should say this. God does have ultimate freedom, but it is limited. Did you all know that? That God's freedom is actually limited. It's limited by his love. It's limited by his holiness. 
It's limited by his nature, the nature of God. In his holiness and love, those things, he, he can't operate in an all-powerful way outside of those things. Okay, So everything he does is going to be for the ultimate good and the completion of his plan to bring about the greatest good for everybody in the universe. Now my question for you, though, is do you believe this? Do you believe this? So many will acknowledge this with lip service. But we so often don't live this way, do we? Instead, we live lives that are filled with anxiety. We live lives that are overwhelmed by depression. We live lives that are so consumed with the temporal things of this world. We forget to apply the truth that God has a plan. God is working a plan. In his sovereignty, in his love, in his holiness, he is bringing things about in our lives to, the, to bring about the completion of his plan for the entire universe. And we're just a small part of that, but we are a part of it. And we can trust him. We can rely on him. We can trust in him. Now, while God is announcing this plan to Samuel, let's again look at Saul's perspective of the situation. Pick it up with me in verse 18. Coming back now to the responsibility of Saul in verse 18. It says, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? This is a good sign right here, isn't it? Let's pause here for a moment. Saul's given us some signs of humility here. You know, I'm thankful that he wasn't like, well... It's about time you all recognize that I'm the tallest guy in Israel, and by the way, the most handsome one too. You know, in fact, hey, servant, here's the phone. You know, come here, Samuel. Let's get a selfie real quick, and I just want to put this on my Instagram page. Make sure you write, handsomest man, or no, desire of Israel, okay? Put that in the caption, all right? I mean, I'm thankful that he wasn't like that. Now, the reason that he comes from one of the smallest tribes of Benjamin, by the way, is because of what happened in the book of Judges. You remember the incident in the book of Judges, for those of you that were here on Wednesday night studying through the Old Testament together? They were almost wiped out, weren't they? And that's why he says, I'm from one of the smallest families, smallest tribes here in Israel. Why are you speaking like this to me? Now the rest of this chapter goes on to detail how Saul uh, basically goes on to this feast. He goes to this sacrificial feast with Samuel. He sits down in the place of honor, as the guest of honor, And he gets to eat the best portion, which would have been taken right from the right thigh, by the way, which is why I have that sirloin tip roast on the screen for you this morning, because I know you guys are just anticipating dinner after this uh, message this afternoon. My favorite part, by the way, tri-tip roast, can't beat it. Grilled, barbecued, whatever you want to call it, it's good. But that's the portion that Saul was served. 
the right thigh there, the best part of the meat. And, and the, the other part was offered to the Lord in an offering, but then they sat down at the ceremonial meal and Saul in the guest of honor spot, he gets to eat that part. So he was stoked. And after the feast, of course, they go home with Samuel and they have a sleepover. You didn't know that the sleepover originated in Scripture, did you? Well, I'm here to let you know a lot of good things originate from Scripture, okay? God is the author of a lot of really good things in our lives, including the sleepover. But I'm sure they sat up and talked for a while and had a good time. But we're going to pick it back up in chapter 10, where we again see the sovereignty of God at work in Israel, And uh, let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 10, please. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? And then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats. Notice how specific this is while we're reading this. Three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and will give you Two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen, when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that phrase, be turned into another man. Verse 7, we continue, it says, And let it be that when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So Samuel basically lays out these three signs for him, and then he tells him, I want you to go to such and such a place, and you're going to wait there for me, and when I show up, there's going to be a sacrifice and also a coronation ceremony, which is what we'll see at the end of this chapter. But notice that Saul dumps oil on, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel dumps oil on Saul's head there in verse 1. You got you to gotta wonder if this wasn't fun for Samuel, you know? I mean, have you guys ever dumped anything on somebody's head? Have you ever gotten a water fight, you know, got the water bottle out and kind of dumped it over somebody's head? It's kind of fun to do. I just wonder, maybe it's just the pastor in me is wondering, you know, like, well, that would be kind of fun, you know, like dump some oil on somebody's head, you know, just anoint you. Let me anoint you with oil today as I pray for you. Just dump a whole flask of oil over his head, you know, and deal with it, you know. Can you imagine greasy oil dripping down into your clothes and stuff? Anyways, I'm sorry. That's just a sidetrack for pastors, I guess. But Samuel goes on and he gives three specific signs. Did you notice that? That are going to serve as confirmation that God is really in this, that God is really sovereignly working his plan in this. 
First of all, notice Samuel would see two men by Rachel's tomb. They would tell him that the donkeys were found, and now the Saul's father is worried about him, not the donkeys. Okay, second of all, Saul would meet three men on their way back to worship, or way to worship at Bethel. Notice the, specific, the specifics of this sign. Three goats, three loaves of bread, and one flask of wine. And they're going to actually offer you, Saul, two of these loaves of bread, which you're to accept. And then thirdly, Paul, Saul would meet and join a band of prophets in Gibeah and would be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to prophesy with them. Here's what I want you to know about these signs. Not only did these signs come to pass exactly how Samuel said, but each one was more difficult than the one before it in its probability of being fulfilled. These signs would only make sense to Saul, and they would only make sense to Samuel, but they would serve in Saul's life as a major confirmation that God was certainly with Saul and was certainly calling him to be the king. Now, as Saul went through his day, I'm sure this was an amazing day for Saul, just kind of going along. And, and every time he sees it come to pass, he's going, okay, well, that's pretty interesting. Oh, wow, okay, here's the guys with three goats and three loaves of bread and, and a flask of wine. And, oh, look, they want me to have two of them. I guess God really is in this. But then even more than that, Saul goes on, and he's going to be uh, uh, meeting this band of prophets, and they're carrying these instruments, and they're prophesying. And in that moment, Saul has a choice to make. He's got a decision to make. But at this point, don't you see his faith has been built up as he's been going along, and he's going, wow, all of these things are happening just like God said, and here's the prophets, and I'm in. And he steps in, and the Spirit falls, and he begins to prophesy as well. Now, why do I bring this up? I want to point this out to you guys this morning. Isn't it like that in our lives as well as Christians? You see, we watch God at work in our lives over time. We see his faithfulness. We see his relationship to us, his mercy, his love. We see his goodness. And as we get to know him better, our faith grows. Our trust grows. We begin to trust the Lord more and more in our lives. At least that's the way it's supposed to go. But before we continue on, I want to point this out. This is hugely important. Notice the end of verse 6, what Samuel tells Saul. He says that after the Spirit of the Lord has come upon you, you will be changed into a different man as a result. That's always the case, isn't it, Christians? When we surrender to the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Spirit of God in our lives and empowered to serve God, we are never the same. We might put it this way, once you've tasted of the goodness of God and of His Holy Spirit, you can never be the same. You'll never be the same person, the same man, the same woman again. Now we're going to continue on in the story in verse 9, where we see how the responsibility of Saul to respond to God's plan is seen here. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9 says, So it was that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. Notice with me in this verse, something very important happens. As Saul steps out in faith, God gives him a new heart. I want to point out two things about this. Number one, only God can give someone a new heart. 
That is all God. There is no work of man. There is nothing you or I can do to produce a new heart in our lives. That is a work that only God can do. The Bible is very clear on that. The work of salvation can only be by God's amazing grace. It has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with the works of our flesh. But secondly, notice that God gave Saul this new heart only after Saul accepted God's plan and stepped out in faith. Notice it says in verse 9, when he had turned his back to go. Now it was not up until that point when Saul stepped out in faith and turned to go and to see if these things would come true or not, that God changed his heart, that God gave him that new heart. In other words, Saul had to show his acceptance of God's plan before God enabled him and empowered him to walk in this new calling. Folks, it's the same way for you and me. We won't know what God has enabled and empowered us for unless we accept God's plan, we surrender to the Spirit, and we step out in faith. Have you done that? Have you done that? You will not know what God has got planned for your life until you are in surrender to him and in faith trusting him and stepping out and saying, God, here I go. I'm going to give it my best shot. It was at that point as Saul stepped out in faith that God changed his heart and gave him that new heart. Now, in verses 17 through 27 of the chapter of chapter 10, we see that Saul is proclaimed king. And I want to read through these verses so that we get the context of the chapter, okay? So read with me, starting in verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So notice with me, God is acknowledging that this is not his perfect will. But because the people are pushing this, and because they want it, God is going to allow this. Now, we know that God's perfect will for king was going to be met in David. That's where the people's will for king and God's will for king was supposed to converge. But here the Lord is allowing this to happen. His sovereign plan, he's bringing it all together. But he is allowing the people to have their desire as well. Verse 20. Now when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. Imagine that. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. The equipment. Now if you're wondering how they were inquiring of the Lord and how they were doing the lots, you, you can go back to the book of Exodus where you'll see that the priest, the high priest was given a ephod which had these special stones in it. And they, they also had the urim and the thummim. And they would use these to basically cast a lot and through that, they would be able to discern what God's answer was and what God's will was in specific situations that they presented to the Lord. And that's what they're doing here. 
Now we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts who gives us that peace or he takes that peace away from us to help guide us in God's will. Verse 22. Okay, there, uh, verse 23, I'm sorry. So let's continue. It says, So they ran to the equipment and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. And then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. You know, I love how the Lord touches certain valiant men's hearts and brings them around Saul. God knew that Saul was going to need some support in this, 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 this kingdom thing that was going to be brand new in Israel. But if you'll notice, the, the enemy also raised up some men as well, didn't he? Some men from the devil who were going to come in and they were only going to focus on negativity and they were going to focus on division. Guess what? Every church is going to be filled with some of the same elements. There are going to be men and women whose heart are filled with God to come and to support the church and the leadership and the mission and the vision, and they're going to be there, and they're going to be serving valiantly, and they're going to be, they're going to be doing probably the majority of what God has called that church to do. But unfortunately, there's also going to be men and women that are going to focus on the negative. They're going to come in and look to divide. Hey, Let's make sure that we aren't those people. Let's make sure that we're not those. Let's, let, let's ask God to fill our hearts with his heart, his mind, his, soul, or his spirit for that heart, for our community, for the place he's planted us to be. Now, as chapter 10 concludes, we see that God here allowed the people to have what they desired so much. He gave them the king. Again, I'll say it again. This wasn't God's perfect will, but it was his permissible will. And that God's perfect will would have been David of the tribe of Judah in fulfillment to the prophecies that through the tribe of Judah, the scepter would not depart from the throne of Israel. In other words, the kingship, the messiahship was going to come through Judah. Saul was a Benjamite. And although he starts out well, we'll see things don't end well for him. Saul will go on to become a bad king and a worse spiritual leader. He becomes an example of what a carnal, self-serving Christian can be like. But none of, his, none of this thwarts God's sovereign plan, though, to bring a king to his people Israel. We know that later on, David fulfills God's perfect will for a king, even though he, too, is not perfect. He makes a lot of mistakes, and we're going to cover those. But what I want to point out today, what I want to leave all of us with is this today. In the story, we find the balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God allows the people to have their desire, a king to rule over them instead of himself, a theocracy in which he ruled over them. But notice it is also God who orchestrates all of the moving pieces. It's God who establishes the circumstances for Saul to become the king. And yet, even in establishing those circumstances, Saul is still exercising his free will. He is not forced by God to make that decision to become king. 
He is still, and therefore, because he's not forced, he's still held responsible to serve the Lord and to serve his fellow Israelites as a godly king. Don't go to sleep on me. This is important, guys. We need to, we need to get this. We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our understanding of the scriptures. Saul might have been a reluctant king at first, but he is still complicit in this plan. How do we know this? Well, let's consider a few things. First of all, we see that it was Saul that sought Samuel out and then attended the feast as a guest of honor. He also accepted that position at the feast, and he also accepted the meal. He ate it. That was a confirmation that, hey, I'm good with all of this. Secondly, Saul set out to see if all of these signs would come true. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to. And by doing that, as he turned to go, we see God there changing his heart. That showed that he was willing. And it wasn't until Saul turned to go to find out if these things were going to happen or not that God changed his heart. And thirdly, Saul came to Mizpah for the assembly and the, cor- and the coronation. Yes, he was hiding in the baggage. That, that does show his hesitancy, okay? And it also shows his frailty as a human being. I mean, think about it. Israel's never had a king before. And suddenly, just because you're the tallest, handsomest guy from the, a, a well-known family, you get picked. I would be hesitant too. I would be a little bit scared as well. But that shows his hesitancy, shows his humanness, his frailty as a man. He still could have absolutely refused. He didn't have to show up at Mizpah. He could have turned that down. But let me clarify something at this point. God did not choose Saul because he knew that Saul was going to go along with it. In other words, it wasn't Saul, his acceptance, that prompted God to say, okay, yeah, Saul is going to be the guy. That's where things get confusing. In other words, let me put it this way. Just because God knew in advance that Saul would accept the kingship does not mean that God caused Saul to accept it. God did not override Saul's free will to do this. On the other hand, Saul's acceptance does not cause God to choose him either. Saul's free decision to accept God's plan does not cause God to pick him to be the next king. Instead, we see that God in his sovereignty, he sees, he knows all, and he works all of these things to bring about his desired plan. Let's look at God's side of this. God in his sovereignty knew in advance that the, doc- the donkeys would go astray and that Saul and his servant would go out looking for them. God knew that Saul's servant would have just enough silver to be able to pay a seer so that that wouldn't rule that option out for them. Can you think about that? The minutest details. God even knows that that servant was going to be carrying a quarter of a shekel in his pocket there that would keep them on that track to go see a seer. He also knew that they would seek out Samuel in the region of Zuf. God knew the time, the place, and who would be there. He also knew that Saul would accept the responsibility to become the king of Israel. And he knew that Saul would ultimately fail as king, but that that would actually set the stage for his servant David, who was God's choice for the next king of Israel. So in all of this, we see God's sovereignty working, yet it does not infringe upon Saul's free will and his responsibility as an individual before God to do what was right. Why is all of this so important? Let me tell you why. It boils down to one reason. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why this is so important. Every human being that has ever lived has, has to make a moral choice that centers around Jesus Christ. Jesus says it himself. He says, he who is not with me is against me. And he says that no man comes to the Father but by me. In other words, that is God's sovereign plan. But God invites all, even commands all men everywhere to surrender their lives to God and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We must all choose whether or not we are going to obey the good news of Jesus Christ or to reject it and to turn away in rebellion. But each person's choice is their own to make, and you'll be held responsible for the choice that you make. God in his sovereignty, he already knows the consequences of each person's choice, but his foreknowledge does not cause you to decide. Neither does your choice affect where God has destined your eternity or or does not destine the consequences of your choice. You have a free will. And God is sovereign. You are responsible to God for the way that you react to the good news of His grace. You need to respond to God's gracious gift of salvation today by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would beg any and all who are listening today to this message to do exactly that that you would realize that God has chosen you by grace through, your, through faith and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is why it is so important this morning that you see the decision that is placed before you as a man, as a woman here in this place. God is called. Will you respond? Let's close our eyes. Let's, let's end our service with that in our minds.